Hello and welcome to the Samungos podcast. This is episode 58 and this is the second and final part of our tissue donation interview with Dr. Sonia Allen and Neil Healy. Don't forget you can access free sepsis lectures with the leading experts in the world and they come with free CPD points and CME credits. To find out all you need to know, visit continuous.com forward slash ASN. Now let's just jump right back into the podcast. Now, Neil, I'm going to come back to you for the next section, if that's okay. And this is one that I'm kind of curious about because I've never actually thought about what happens after the situation. So I've dealt with many, many, many deaths in my time. I usually make sure that they get to the morgue within six hours. I've taken my blood samples and then I tend not to think about it afterwards. And I'm actually curious now as to what happens. Could you possibly take us through what actually is the process? So a, a family and a patient has agreed to tissue donation, they're moving off to the morgue. What, what, what happens over the next 24 hours or so? So over the, the next 24 hours, the first thing that we have to do is speak to the family uh, and uh, complete formal authorization for tissue donation. And that requires us speaking to the family for about 20 to 30 minutes um at a time of their choosing where we go through um the formal paperwork uh to authorize donation we also need to uh undertake a medical travel and social history of the potential donor to make sure that there are no clinical uh contraindications to tissue donation uh and once the formal authorization is in place once we've made sure that the fiscal is uh, is in agreement for donation to be carried forward, uh, depending on where the donor is, uh, in this instance, we'll say if the donor is at the, the Queen Elizabeth uh, and was a donor in, in a potential donor in Sonia's unit, we would move uh, the patient to Edinburgh to our dedicated mortuary facility at the Western General Hospital. The reason for that is that that mortuary is no longer used for for postmortems, so we can control the environment and we have envi- environmental monitoring in place, so that we can retrieve tissues there with our specialist retrieval team uh, in as sterile uh, um, an environment as is possible, so that we can ensure that the tissues that we take uh, are are um are are sterile and uh are free of any uh contam- contamination um once we have uh, completed the retrieval we move the body back to uh the hospital where they came from uh and we take the tissues to our facility at the jack copeland center which is our uh, national headquarters at Harriet Watt University. Um, There the tissues are further processed. Uh, The heart valves will be dissected. So we will take the whole heart and we'll dissect out the aortic and pulmonary valve. And then we'll prepare them for for, um, cryopreservation. So we will freeze them down into the liquid phase of nitrogen to sort of minus 50, minus 60 degrees, and they are stored then until 
uh, we do a series of microbiological tests uh, to make sure that there's no contamination and that the tissues are safe. We will review all medical records uh, to make sure that there's nothing that we've missed when we've discussed the case initially with Sonia, a member of our team, or with the family, so that we have as full a picture of the donor's health as possible. So again, we can minimize risk to recipients. And at a certain stage, we will uh, we will clear these tissues for issue. Um, so tendons can be stored for three to five years. Heart valves may be for up to 10 years before they're required. Um, uh, eyes, as I said, the corneas we will uh, generally uh, release uh, 28 days. Uh, but the sclera and, and other parts of the eyes we can store for up to a year. That's very interesting. I, I didn't realise that, that the body transported. For those that aren't from Scotland, um, we've just described a, a move from Glasgow to Edinburgh, which is about 40 miles. I didn't know that the body was moved, so that's very interesting. Um, so that process of transporting to a specialist unit, retrieving the tissues, getting the body back, we did mention some timings before, but do you mind just letting us know what, what are the timeframes for retrieving those specific tissues? So for we have to retrieve the eyes within 24 hours of the time of death. Um, so, and for the heart falls and tendons within 48 hours. So we have to do all the paperwork. Um, we have to move the body um, and we use specialist undertakers to do that. We have to retrieve within that time frame. Um, so, and then once the retrieval is complete, uh, we will move the body back. And generally that's all done within that 24 to 48 hours time frame, depending on what we're retrieving. And then I take it when the body is returned to the base hospital again, that's you are finished at that stage. Is that the body is now, I guess, free to go through the normal stages of planning for funerals and, and, and arrangements, et cetera, et cetera? No, absolutely. Um, I, I suppose we are finished but we also will speak to the family to tell them when the body is moved back what we've retrieved etc so they know exactly you know what part of the process so they can instruct uh, an undertaker to arrange um, arrange the next steps and and just out of curiosity who retrieves the tissues that's a very good question um so uh in scotland we have a dedicated team of clinical scientists who retrieve the tissue uh, on our behalf in Edinburgh. So they're not doctors, so they're biomedical scientists. Um, and one of the stipulations in the Scottish legislation is that um, death has to be uh, pronounced by a registered medical practitioner. Um, so that is one of the, the requirements so that a non-medical or a non-doctor can they, then go on and retrieve the tissues. Are, are there any differences for situations, say, say corneal only? Does that change the process in any way? Yes, uh, uh, it, it, it certainly can do. So um, because we have a shorter time frame to arrange eye retrieval, um, we will send our retrieval team to the donating hospital and they will retrieve those eyes in the hospital mortuary. 
Okay, so we have a separate podcast coming up on um, organ donation or, or has a bit more of an emphasis on organ donation. So we won't dwell on it too much in this podcast. But is there anything you'd like to say, Sonia, just around some of the some of the differences, some considerations around organ donation versus tissue donation? So organ donation is not usually brought up in the emergency department. Ventilated patients with devastating brain injuries are usually admitted to ITU for further prognostication, if, if appropriate. And the discussion regarding organ donation is usually brought up later and involves specialist nurses who are highly trained to discuss this. And we'll cover a bit more about that in, in, in the next podcast. Okay, I have a few audience questions, if that's okay. And um, we got some some requests before this this interview took place. Um, so do you mind if I ask you just a few? Um, the first one comes from Sheila McGlone, who you'll know well, Sonia. We we all worked together uh, many moons ago, and she asked, "What? How has COVID impacted the service?" For Neil, you may be able to tell me more about numbers, but it's one thing I didn't mention when we take bloods, we're supposed to do a COVID swab as well. Obviously, we need to speak to the relatives and make sure they're happy for that because that obviously has implications for them for isolation periods and things as well. But um, we wouldn't be using tissues or organs for organ donors um, with positive COVID swabs. Neil, have you anything to add on that? Yeah, so, you know, over the last year, um, you know, almost to the day, uh, um, our referral rates uh, for Titian Nation in Scotland has dropped by 55%. Uh, and that's probably a reflection of how busy the ED departments have been, um, you know, particularly in the, the first and, and the second wave. You know, they have been trying, they've been concentrating as they always do on saving people's lives. So things like Tissue Nation has, has had less of a priority, I suppose, because they've been, they've been overwhelmed in, in many instances. And we, we appreciate that and accept that. Um, as Sonia said, we uh, have uh, decided uh, that uh, people who are positive for SARS-CoV, to um, would not be able to donate their their tissues. So again, some of the people who've come in and died wouldn't be suitable for donation in the first place. I think it's also important to state that while our referrals have dropped by 55% uh, over the last year, our donors have only dropped by 25%. So we've still progressed, you know, a significant amount of tissue donors in that time frame. Um, next question, um, have either of you had any situations that you found hard or memorable um, and what did you learn from that uh, situation? I think uh, from my perspective, uh, what, I, what I've learned over 15 years of being in the, the, the field of organ and tissue donation is, is not to make assumptions. Um, I had a, a lady who I was uh, who died in a house fire, and her husband, who was eighty five, um, was having the conversation with me about about donation. And I checked the register, and and his wife had joined the register uh, online, um, 
you know, in the last month. And I said, you know, I hope you don't mind me asking, you know, it looked, it looks like she joined online. And he said, oh, yes, you know, she uh, she told me about it. She posted it on Facebook and she she poked all her friends to join as well. And I suppose that that was one occasion where it actually highlighted to me that we can't make assumptions. The youngest donor I've dealt with is five days old and they donated their kidneys. And again, a lot of the clinicians were fearful about about approaching it. Um, because they thought the family had been through enough uh, and that this would add to their distress. And that's never been my experience in 15 years of of donation. Um, It offers the family some positivity. uh, A lot of families I I, I talk to talk about legacy uh, and the fact that... um, they're able to help someone else and that gives them some degree of, of comfort down the line from, from the tragedy of, of their loved one's death. And I suppose if there's any message I want to, to impart is that, you know, 52% of people in Scotland are on the organ donor register. 90% of people support the nation. We do need to uh, to be brave and to ask these questions and approach everyone uh, because it can make a difference, not only to the recipients, but to the donor's family as well and their friends. Okay, final question, Sonia. I'll probably bring this to you because I know you touched on it a wee while ago and that was around training your workforce. You mentioned your skills and drills. Um, what 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 have you been doing and how can we encourage you know, our departments, our senior colleagues to keep training, particularly when there's a lot of new staff coming through the department on a regular basis. How do you keep that up? So um, luckily I do induction as well. So I've got the opportunity of catching our new trainees early on. And so as mentioned in induction, we did previously have the tissue donor coordinators coming to do talks in the department, but due to COVID, that that is unfortunately not being able to happen, but they've now produced an amazing YouTube recording of um, that covers the new legislation and also their previous talk as well. So we've got that resource, which we will be putting on our department website. Um, we do our skills and drills training, which our clinical fellows are responsible for, and each have been given a different skills and drills to do and one of them is tissue donation so that's something we do continuously in the department um, I also look at the book where we record deaths to see whether tissue donation has been brought up and I feed that back if there is a particular issue for example um, if I said previously about not proceeding with don- asking about donation because it's a fiscal case um, so yeah, and constant reminders in the daily updates about tissue and um, organ donation and the new legislation as well. So it's, yeah, it's ongoing, teaching's ongoing. Okay, Neil, I'm going to turn to you just for the last question. Now, um, just with your experience as a tissue coordinator, what is it that we as healthcare professionals could do a little bit better? Anything that you would recommend that, that would help your service? Um. I think the 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 first thing I, I can think of is documentation. 
um, it's important and will be even more important with the new legislation and the duty to inquire that's written into that, that we should be asking people about their decisions regarding donation, that the medical staff document that on the hospital record, either the track care portal or in uh, clinical notes so that when uh, myself or one of my team comes in to see whether someone was approached, we have that information and we know whether wh whether there was a reason why it didn't progress to the nation. So it uh, provides us with an audit trail so that we can we can assess misdonation and the potential for donation within the various different departments. The, the other thing which is vitally important is refer. Um, I have a wonderful facility at the Jack Copeland Centre, which is state-of-the-art, Sterling Prize Architecture Award-winning facility with a hundred um, scientists who are there to process uh, and store these tissue for for people who are uh, who are waiting for for tissue transplant. But I might as well just lock up the front door because the first step in that chain is the referral. And it's the clinical staff and the ED departments when someone dies who picks up the phone and speaks to myself or my team um, to refer a potential donor, sets that whole system in, in motion. So without referrals, we won't get donors. We won't, we won't have tissue recipients. So it is vitally important that people pick up the phone and call us with potential donors. Okay, guys, so thank you very, very much. I think we've come to the end, but I'd like to finish with one last question, if that's okay. I usually take one of my guests back on my time machine, and Sonia has kindly agreed to come on board. So, Sonia, if I could take you back on your time machine uh, to meet your junior self leaving medical school, what, what's the one piece of advice, given all the experience you've had now, uh, what would you give that uh, junior you leaving medical school? It's a, a tough question. I would probably say... Studying medicine and working as a doctor opens up so many opportunities. Um, I said, take, take your opportunities and don't worry about following a conventional career path. Just remember though that you can't do everything, so it's important to take time to look after yourself and spend time with family and friends. Neil Healy and Sonia Allen, thank you very, very much for your time. Thank, thank you, you, Owen. So many, many thanks to Dr. Sonia Allen and Neil Healy. I think my three main take-home points from both episodes would be, number one, when to refer, and that is essentially everyone who dies in the emergency department, and that includes those that we would typically refer for post-mortem. And remember that tissue donation and organ donation is acceptable in all cultures and religions. Number two concerns communication. Probably best not to do it immediately, but give the family time to process the death. And that also gives you time to speak to the tissue donation coordinator and find out if the patient has specific wishes on the organ donor register. And remember, the family don't have to make a decision immediately. The tissue coordinator can phone them in the next few hours, which gives them time to discuss with family if required. And number three, I'll just repeat what Neil said there at the end around keeping good documents. So make sure you make good notes about uh, the discussions and decisions with family. And finally, remember that there is an incredible service out there to retrieve and transplant organs and tissues, but they can do nothing if we do not take those initial steps. 
Sepsis. Many, many thanks to the support of Continuous and the Australian Sepsis Network. Remember, you can access free sepsis lectures with top experts from around the world with free CPD points at continuous.com forward slash ASN. And there's lots more incredible educational resources at simmungos-ed.com. Many, many thanks again for listening and until next time, take care. <laughs>